everybody. We are listening to We Are the Orchestra, the latest album from my guests Daniel Bennett and Mark Cocheo. Uh, you can find it wherever albums are streamed or sold. It's very cool. I'm a big fan. Uh, no new gigs for me to promote right now, just the same old residencies doing my thing at Radio City this season. Uh, go, feel free to send an email to info at between the gigs if you have any comments or questions. And you can always find me on Twitter at between the gigs. All right, everybody, enjoy the show. Cool. Welcome to Between the Gigs. I'm your host, Marty Eisenberg, and today my guest is Daniel Bennett. Hi, Daniel. Hey, Marty. Good to be here. So, uh, how about this weather, right? Dude, it's insane. And what I was just telling you, it's like, it's it's not raining and it's not snowing, so you don't get any of the blessing from that. It's yeah. just cold and wet. It's just a cold, <laughs> wet mush outside. Cold, wet mush. And I started my day by going to the dentist just oh, to make brutal. it more, yeah, it's beautiful, man. <laughs> so I, like I was telling you, my, my dentist told me that a filling that was done 20 years ago, apparently fillings can leak. Yeah. I, I didn't know that. I just thought they fill, they do a filling and you're done. Yeah. No. So he wanted me to come. I came in this morning to the dentist at 9 a.m. and he put a cap over my tooth. So that's the excitement of my day. <laughs> you know, uh, you're in, are you in uh, the Musicians Union? I am. Do you get the Allegro like monthly? Yes. There's like a, uh, there's a dentist who always advertises in the, in the union paper, like yeah. the jazz dentist. Oh, right, right. I think that's pretty cool. The jazz I dentist. I don't know what he does that's different. But. I don't know if I would trust a jazz dentist, to be honest <laughs> with you. You think he like moonlights as a saxophone player uh, or That's, I, I, yeah, I wouldn't trust it. <laughs> Okay, well, let's uh, let's talk about. I'm going to give everybody a little introduction to you. So Daniel is a fantastic saxophone player on the scene here in New York. Um, he has weekly residencies at uh, one of which is the Residence Inn in Times Square, where he hosts the Experimental Tuesdays Music Series. You perform uh, weekly, or is it is it weekly with Blank the Musical? Yeah, weekly performances with Blank the Musical and improvised musical. He's also on the Broadway scene, playing Broadway shows, has monthly performances at Tommy Jazz, and you actually have a new album coming out um, that you're having a CD release party at the Blue Note on January 12th, concerts at 11.30 a.m. and 1.30 p.m. Uh, tell me about this new record you got coming out. Uh, well, the new record is actually the one that's kind of currently out right now. It's called We oh, Are the Oh, it's Orchestra. We Are the Orchestra. Oh, yeah. cool. That's awesome. Which um, I recorded with Mark Coccio. It's a funny yeah. name. It's called We Are the Orchestra, even though right. there's, only, there's only two musicians on the album. So we recorded 16 instruments on this album. I did all the woodwind parts, flute, clarinet, oboe, piccolo. Mark Coccio did all the guitar, bass, mandolin, banjo. And we just went into the studio and put this craziness into into a full-length album. Yeah. Um, th it was actually, the album was conceived after we did a show, a theater production at the Whitney Museum in New York City called Whitman at the Whitney. It was right. a, We played as a duo, and it was the poetry of Walt Whitman set to music. Mm. So that was kind of the, the conception of the album. That was about a year ago. And uh, Do some of the um, songs that you wrote for that performance make it onto the album, or is that a completely separate project? It, yeah, no, probably about half of the songs on the album oh, cool. are from that. So two of the songs on the album are classical excerpts right. um, by Verdi. And uh, the long long story short, Walt Whitman was a huge fan of uh, classical opera. Right. And also a fan of American bluegrass, kind of an odd combination. Right. So they wanted us to play sort of folky, modern jazz folk, but we were playing a lot of, they wanted us to play a lot of opera themes for this right. particular show. Uh, so some of the themes didn't work for the album. It, it was just too much to try to f force into an album. But two of the themes, a uh, theme from Ernani um, and uh, Il Trovatore, a theme from that um, uh, opera, we, we were able to, to fit into this, into the album. Yeah. So um, that's the short story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and was it all inc incidental music, that sort of the poems were read over for the original performance? Yeah, so it's pretty wild. They actually were able to fit his poetry into a plot, so to speak. So they were able oh. to line up his poetry and create sort of a plot. A lot of it centered around the Civil War. Um, he had a brother who was in the Civil War, so he was very touched um, by what was happening. 
And so that was a lot of the themes were that was in the show. Um, but the music was incidental music. It was it was in the background. It was during scene changes. It mm. was kind of all throughout the show. Mm. Wow, what an interesting and fun collaboration to, to be a part of. It sounds fantastic. It was fun, man. And we did it at the and in one of the new wings uh, at the Whitney Museum. Cool. Um, the, and they, of course, they have a new space that's been there for a few years. Um, but at the end of the show, this big curtain behind the group opens up, and you can see um, the Hudson River. So it's just a beautiful. It's just a really. They did a really nice job with the yeah. layout. Yeah, I really enjoyed listening to the album. It's got, um, you know, I don't want to put it in a box, but uh, it has a lot of, uh, it reminds me a lot of like the Punch Brothers, you know, yeah. uh, Chris Thiele's group with sort of the way that you blend classical music and bluegrass and, you know, jazz and all that stuff. And I think that as a concept, uh, I th it, it's, it seems like there's sort of a, uh, you wanted to do a project where it was just the two of you sort of, um, showing what two people could do in sort of this modern era of, especially two people who are as talented as you and Mark, who can play so many instruments. Yeah, well, thank you. A lot of it was 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 our own level of insanity sure. and, and our willingness to do to try this. Yeah, we certainly made a lot of mistakes in the process. And I, the funny thing, Marty, tell me about some of the mistakes the mistake. You made. Well, first of all, I thought we were going to save a lot of money, so that was my big. <laughs> I thought I really did. Right, I thought, yeah. well, we're going to eliminate. I usually hire. You know, large groups. Sure. For, you know, this is our eighth album. This is our first time as a duo, and uh, we probably spent twice as much money in the studio. Why? Because because um, I had to just constantly overdub myself. Right. Where and that takes time. Yeah. I mean, even the piano parts. I played the piano parts, um, and uh, so that took a lot of time to, sure. to go in and do that. Um, so and of course, other mistakes that we make are just the uh, well. Just the humanness of, when we, for instance, when we, when we started, we were getting parking tickets the first time <laughs> we played, both of us did, because we were, it, we, the first session was during... New York a, problems. Yeah, New York problems. It was during a blizzard. Yeah. And uh, again, we thought we would save money by recording at my producer's home studio mm. uh, in Hell's Kitchen, uh, but the parking over there was just horrendous, and it was That's during funny. a pretty heavy snow blizzard kind of thing, so... That was a problem, and also just battling all the other problems that come up, um, trying to create a lot of sound when there's only two people, mm. trying to continuously layer sounds and keep the energy of the recording. Yeah. Um, so when we did it at the Whitney Museum, it was much easier because we had the built-in energy of the actors. There was a, That whole thing was yeah. there, but we didn't have that for the album. We didn't have the visual component. Sure. So we had to put in like extra energy. Getting back to, I'm, I'm just, for my own curiosity, when you performed this music at the Whitney, was it just the two of you then as well? It was. And did you do it through loop pedals and things like that? N we did not. Um, uh, so that that was a little more stripped down. I, I doubled on, I think, three instruments, uh, just, you know, changing out instruments right. live. and then But Mark, it was never more than two instruments at a time. Exactly. And Mark just did banjo for, for oh, that cool. show. Oh, cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty wild. It was, I mean, <laughs> banjo and saxophone and Mozart so, and Verdi, yeah, you know. <laughs> Whose idea was it to expand this idea of duo to uh, like a 16-piece orchestra? But That was my producer's idea. Her name yeah. is M.P. Kuo. She's, she's produced my last five records. Cool. Um, and she said this would be great if you could keep it as a duo and we could also as a marketing thing, we could sell it as a duo album. Right. But I got to tell you, it takes a lot of effort to to explain to people that it's a duo because yeah. you can send it to people and they'll just listen to it and they'll say, hey, okay, this is nice. It sounds like a eight or nine piece ensemble or something. And they miss kind of the part, the point of it is that it's just two of us right. doing this. Yeah. So there were some marketing challenges with putting this out. Also, we were a little bit not sure how to market the Whitney Museum angle. Um, uh, we, we couldn't use... Uh, Whitney Museum in the name of the album. One of the early ideas was to call it, you know, We're the Orchestra Songs from the Whitney Museum. Right. But we couldn't do that for legal reasons. So we had to somehow try to work that angle into our promo, mostly just in the description and in other ways, just getting people to understand that this came from a theater production. There's more to this. Right. Um, it's very difficult in this day and age. People listen to things online and they hear it 
in one very specific way. Yeah. They form an opinion in 30 seconds and that's it. That's true. Yeah. I mean, you know this. Yeah. And I've heard on some of your other podcasts, uh, you were talking to Chase about this, about how p- people listen to when they go to Instagram, for instance, they see things, they want to see things in a very specific, clear way. Yeah. They're not really as interested in the backstory as I, I think they were in the past, which is a challenge. Or maybe they are. You're giving me a look, like maybe they are. I'm just, I'm thinking about it. We can it. debate it. That's yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think that, uh, I think that people, okay, you said something v- that I loved in, in another interview that you said, um, and it was talking about um, booking agents. Yeah. Because you, I, I, this is a little yeah. free throw, and I wanted to get into this a little yeah, later, but yeah. you used to work as a booking agent. And you were talking about um, the fact that uh, what a, a lot of y- you liked musicians that were persistent in sort mm-hmm. of getting in touch with you. Um, and one of the things you said is the first line of defense for uh, a person in a gatekeeping position is uh, just to ignore you. Sure. And it's not necessarily meant as a, you know, a disrespectful act or like a, a hard no. It's just it's a way of weeding out the uh, people who that might not follow up and might not be as um, persistent or uh, you know as f- really focused on their music. And I think there's sort of I love that qu- quote. And I think that there's sort of a global um, thing that happens with that because there's so much. Unlike any other point in history, there's so much information out all the time. There's so much music. The Spotify, you can find any fucking thing ever made on it, you know. So like, right. you know, when I was a kid, we'd go to used record stores so we can find CDs that we could afford, and we'd thumb through them and we'd right. look through the liner notes and see who was on it and stuff. But we didn't have Spotify, you know. Right. Uh, and I think that you know for people, the first line of defense is to listen for 30 seconds and see if they're, you know, if it grabs them. And if it doesn't, then, you know, you know, that, that's sort of part of the new challenge. Yeah. 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 No, it's true. It's true. And, and actually when I was booking venues, this is when I lived in Boston, I booked three venues. It's this place called the fireplace, uh, the stork club and a restaurant called Ohm uh, Mm. in Cambridge in Harvard square. And uh, I would also perform at these. I mean, this I had a master plan that I was going to book all these venues and I was going to perform at that venue. I would book myself. It became a very complicated game to keep up. I did this yeah. for maybe two years, and then I said, I do not want to book anyone. I don't want to produce. I don't want to do any of this. I'm just a performer. But yeah. I learned a lot. And the one thing I learned is that artists will essentially chop their own heads off. Yes. So they won't actually... Re- if, if a booking agent ignores an artist... 99% of the artists will run away with their tails behind their legs, between yeah. their legs. Um, and they haven't even technically been rejected yet. They just yeah. were ignored. Yeah. And so it's a very easy way for booking agents and other types of middlemen to basically just weed people out and, yeah. and not even have to do anything. The artist, in a way, is almost chopping their own head off. It's yeah. like they're... They're censoring themselves. They're just saying, "Oh, okay, I'm, I'm, all right, I'm going, I'm, you know, yeah." yeah. And uh, so that was very eye-opening for me. Yeah, yeah. There's this, oh, man, I'm annoyed. I can't remember the name of it, but there's this book about business that a friend of mine showed me one time. I think, I think it's called like the Long Curve or something like that. Okay. And it's about this idea that you know, when you start a project, you have the most you get the most in return from it. Like it's a new idea. It's exciting, you know, and as the project moves forward, you get less and less back from it Mm. up until the point when you ultimately clear a hurdle and get that big momentum that you've been looking for. And most people, as they go through this set of hurdles, the, you know, they get almost to the finish line and then they decide to give up because, you know, they haven't reached that level of, of success. Self-sabotage, man. Yeah. Self-sabotage. They do it to themselves. So they don't, we don't get feedback. I mean, I'm sure you feel this way too as an artist. We don't always get feedback. We, we're making a difference. I tell this to people everywhere. I tell this to my students. I teach at the New York Jazz Academy in Times Square. I tell my students that you are making a, dis, uh, a difference. People are listening. 
but you're not getting feedback, so you're getting discouraged, and yeah. you're giving up before you've even failed. Yeah. <laughs> you think you failed, but you haven't failed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's... that. It, it, the way that we get feedback is... is it's different these days, you know? I, I mean, I, I think that you, you... I've listened to you talk about this before, and I, I, I love the, you know... Your your wife works in HR, right? She does. Yeah, and yeah. You, you mentioned how um, you know people. Maybe I should let you explain. But like when you, you work in an office, there's constant feedback from you right. know your bosses and stuff. And that's actually what I love about working in theater too. Yeah. Because there's constant feedback in theater. Right. Like when you finish when you're a sub and you finish a, a show, like everybody tells you what a good job if, if right. you did a good job. Right. But everybody lets you know, you know. Yeah. Whereas you get off a gig with the trio. You don't talk about that lick that they play that you usually, right. you know. I mean, sometimes that happens. Right. And and off, often in jazz, the audience is quiet and, and yeah. listening, but they don't come up to you. Right. I mean, think about it this way, Marty. Think about your absolute best teacher that you've ever had. Um, they changed your life. When was the last time you actually wrote them an email and told them that? <laughs> yeah. Think about that. That's true. I mean, really, really. And, yeah. and so, so that teacher is not getting the feedback there none of us are and yeah. now that we we're in this weird universe where yes we share things constantly online but we're actually not really um showing support in a in a way yeah. to others um in a personal way yeah um i don't know it's interesting yeah yeah i also think that today you get a little bit more validity from the feedback you get globally versus locally. Mm. I'm going to talk about, I'd like to talk about that a little yeah. bit more later, but like a like on Instagram or a follow or something like that from a complete stranger feels so much more validating than when you're playing a small room and someone comes up to you and is like, oh man, I love you guys. That was great. You know, like, cause that, it, it feels like it's nice. It's a nice feeling, but it, yeah. it doesn't resonate quite the same way for no. me. And I, I, do do you feel the same way? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Our our brains are being rewired right now, and we all really, myself included, we have to do our best to <laughs> resist that a little bit. Yeah. I, I I mean, believe me, I love technology. It's beautiful what it can do. Um, but our brains are getting rewired, and we are um we're viewing each other differently. And your point is is spot on when you play a, a club date and someone comes up to you and said that was just beautiful and they're in tears um there's something there's a cynical part of you that almost wants that person to say that on the internet yeah <laughs> not in per i mean it's great yeah. in per you you know and that's terrible that's yeah. a terrible thing to think you sir could you could you also post that on right. the internet yeah, tonight yeah, yeah. too because that's a great quote. I mean, it's yeah. a horrible thing. I'm just speaking what we're all what we're all thinking. Yeah. That's like the human nature and that's where we are in the culture now that everyone wants to see it on yeah. the internet now. Yeah. Which is really sad. <laughs> it kind of is. I mean, you I know. I mean, but but it's it's a do? mix it's a mixed bag, believe me. I, there's yeah. some beautiful things that that we can do with technology. Um okay. Well, um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the uh, the gigs you do in town. Can you tell me a little bit more about uh, the improvised music series you do at the Residence Inn? Yeah, it's called Experimental, Experimental Tuesdays. Yeah, you got it. Experimental Tuesdays at the Residence in Times Square. Mark Coccio, who's on the new ah, album, cool. okay. uh, he plays that with me. That's one way that we've been able to really develop our group sound. It's a duo gig, so we have all the instruments. And he does have pedals, so he's looping like crazy on that gig. Right. I mean, if you were to walk into that and, and hear us play... Uh, on a Tuesday night, we'll be there tonight. Uh, you would hear it would sound like there's six people on the stage. He's he's got percussion sounds that he can make. I mean, it's really fun what he can do. Yeah. Mark also does a lot of theater stuff. He does subbing on Broadway shows. And oh, I didn't know that. He uh, travels with the, with the uh, this group, the Dan Band. Uh, the Dan Band. You know that group? I don't. Actually. Okay, check them out. It's like hilarious. It's a comedy group. It's, oh, I love um, that. Very well known group, and they've done some. Movies and films, it's a silly name, but it's a, a really fun group. Mark plays with them and a, a, a lot of other things. So the Experimental Tuesdays, we've done it for about, f this is our fifth year yeah. in residency every week. And it's a place where we work out new ideas. We yeah. try new songs, we fall on our face, we experiment. That's very cool. <laughs> so did you, um, I, I'm assuming you don't play jazz standards there. We don't. You don't. We don't. So, um... I've sort of found like 
uh, it's hard to uh, build residencies in New York where you're not playing jazz standards oh, yeah. or, or you're in some sort of band that has, you know, like a, you know, I, I guess that would be sort of outside the jazz um, repertoire. Right. Um, and I wonder if you might want to talk, if you could talk a little bit about how you were able to uh, build a band that's able to have a residency in, in like a, you know, a pretty posh spot or, mm -hmm. you know, how you're able to do your own thing within the context of sort of the, you know. Yeah. Well, I made a decision like. early on that I, I didn't care if they fired us, Marty. Mm -hmm. I was going to play my own music. Right. I'm at a point in my career. Um, I do play standard gigs and I, I like I said, I, I teach at the New York Jazz Academy. I do. I'm in, I'm in that world. But my passion is composing. My passion is playing original music. And I said, look, they, they can fire us. I don't care. We are going to play this. And uh, we've got, you know, you can hear what we do online. Um, and it's, it's not uh, a, abrasive or super aggressive sounding uh, experimental music. Yeah. None of my stuff is. Right. Um, there's a certain folk quality to it. It's gentle. It's a little bit, it's just a little bit quirky. I think that's, that's really what makes it different. But, um, all that to say, I that was just I said I was going to this. This is what I want to do. Um, I'll give you another example. When I when sure. I lived in Boston, I played at the Liberty Hotel every week. Mm -hmm. um, I still have musicians who play there. Um, I kind of had to give the gig away when I moved. This is a while ago, but we played jazz standards for a few years, and uh, in my opinion, the audience um, was polite and they enjoyed it. Um, uh, but then we switched to playing our own music and original music, and the audience just lit up. And I'm not saying this to compliment my own music. I'm no, just saying this because they could see that it was authentic. Yeah, They could see that it was me and it was authentic. And when people see that, they're hooked. And I'm not, believe me, it's not just me. There's every, I see all sorts of musicians who are now doing this, who yeah. are saying, look, you know what? I'm gonna be authentic and let the audience deal with the sound and they're gonna see that there's like a love connection that happens when you when and and the whole gig changed. So yeah. the, the final maybe two years of that gig uh, were completely different uh, when we just started doing our own music. And I almost had to set myself free. That's another situation where I said, I don't care if they fire us. We're gonna play our own music, and this is where my heart is. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah, because I think a lot of times um, you feel like you have to do a certain thing on, on these type of, you know, restaurants and hotels and right. sort of like somewhat quiet venues where the understanding is people are listening, but they're also there to, to talk sure. and they, they don't want to be distracted from, from their eating or their mm -hmm. conversation or whatever the venue is trying to sell. Um, you're there to compliment the ambiance and to sort of take that stage and say, I'm going to make it my own. That seems like, uh, you know, there's, there's risk involved, which is yeah. cool. Risk there's is a lot cool. of risk. And, but the, the tendency to, to want to be a people pleaser. Right. I mean, I, I see that everywhere though. I mean, yeah. we, my group plays in, we just did a show. We just played at Ronnie Scott's in London and, uh, we do a lot of touring and everywhere I go, I, I always have to, it takes me a second when I get into a club to just remind myself, no, again, that scene, well, they can fire me. They can, they can uninvite me. I don't care. Everywhere I go, there's this tendency to want to people please. Yeah. To want to adapt your music to wherever, uh, whatever club you're in. If you're in a rock club, well, I'm in a rock club. Maybe I should be a little more edgy and I should. Right. No, you know, that this is, this may be a human nature thing. Um, we did a, a year ago, we played at Herb Alpert's uh, Vibrato in Los Angeles. We go out to the West Coast a lot. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of the groups uh, that were on the bill um, were very straight-ahead jazz. And yeah. this was a, a situation where I really had to say to myself, okay, Daniel, <laughs> you got to be you, man. Yeah. Because they're going to see it if it's not authentic. I had to tell myself this. Um uh, there seems to be a. It just depends on the venue. Would it have not been authentic if you had played like jet more of a jazzy repertoire? Um, for me, it would not be. Yeah, 
unless I unless I absolutely chose if I ch- if I was in the right headspace. Yeah. And I said, look, we're gonna do a, a whole set of some standards, some Joe Beam, some Bossa Nova, some, you know, I don't know. Right. I I have those moments. Yeah. Uh, for me, the the baseline is is it authentic? And if that's the case, it might be jazz occasionally. It might not. Do you have to think sort of? It, it's different when you're touring. I, I I feel like when you're touring, you have, you know, I, I'm sure you've done it more than I do, and, and there are considerations, to, you know the bill that you're on and et cetera. But it, it seems like you have a little bit more freedom when you're touring to, mm. to do whatever you want to do because you're bring you're presenting the distance of presenting this concert right. makes it you're treated more like an artist and also you've already invested so much risk. Why stop now? Right. But like locally um doing gigs, like do you ever have to feel like you have to make considerations in terms of like how loud you can be or how out you can be or <laughs> you know um just don't worry about it. I, I think volume is more of an issue than 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 playing out right i mean i'll be honest i think audiences are pretty open-minded i mean if you're as long as you're playing something that has a nice groove and a nice sound and it's balanced i find that audiences everywhere are very open-minded i mean we've played gigs in the middle of nowhere we we just did a tour we went from Kansas all the way up to Indianapolis, Cleveland. We were all out through the Midwest, played in Topeka, Kansas. Those audiences were awesome. Yeah. They were up for anything, man. That's cool. They were totally down. For yeah. It. So uh, if anything, the thing that I have to watch out for is the is the volume. That's yeah. interesting you mentioned that, the volume and the mix. I travel as a trio, so there's no bass. Right. <laughs> Which I'll shake my finger at you I for, know, but... I know. I was going to say, this is getting, now this is getting awkward because I'm, I'm on a podcast with a great bass player. So, okay, we'll discuss that one later. So we, t- we tour as, as just three of us, right. drums, guitar, guitar and loops, and yeah. then I do all the woodwinds. So we have to, the balance of the group is crucial. Can yeah. they hear the loops? Is there enough low end in the guitar so that it at least feels warm as we're playing as a group? Um, there is a there are a lot of considerations. Yeah. Um, and as you know, playing in clubs, you don't always get a long sound check. Yep, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when we do, uh, you know, it's different everywhere we go. Uh, the biggest challenge we do festivals that tends to be challenging, uh, very challenging outside playing outside with yes. no bass. Yeah. Um, still trying to get have some kind of a warm sound. Um, so we have to always there's a grand compromise that we have to do as a trio to kind of create this unit. It's yeah. very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fun challenge though, I'm sure. Oh, man. Yeah. Never gets old. When we were in London, they, the first night we had a big sound check. We were there yeah. for the London Jazz Fest. We had a great, we did a big long sound check. We did the show. Uh, we did two nights at Ronnie Scott's and the sound guy came up to us and said, okay guys, you're good to go. Tomorrow, no sound check. He said, we're going to line check you for one minute, and that's wow. it. No sound check. He said, we got all of, your levels are in place. Yeah. And, of course, you know, that happens a lot. That I does, mean, we're, yeah. You know, it does happen. So we were They've ready. A lot for, of acts. Right. So we, we were ready for it, but, you know, it's a delicate setup. My group is a very delicate setup. There's not nine musicians or ten musicians on stage making sound and filling in the holes. There's just three of us. Yeah. So if something is a little off with the balance, you can you notice it. Yeah. So it's very exposed. Yeah. <laughs> it's very exposed. Believe me, I know. Sure. You know? Yeah. Um, uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious a little bit about this uh, uh, Blank the Musical thing that you Yeah. Do. So these are improvised musicals. Are they, is it like a comedy improvisation or is it dramatic? <laughs> it's full on comedy, man. Yeah. It's the craziest thing you've ever seen. Yeah. So the show was actually created back in 2014. It was a joint collaboration of Second City in Chicago. Cool. And Upright Citizens Brigade oh, in great. New York. Yeah, yeah. So UCB. And we originally launched the show at New World Stages, beautiful off-Broadway stage. We were right next door to um, Avenue Q when they were there. And so this was like a serious theater production. Yeah. But talk about gutsy. So the whole thing was improvised. Yeah. It still is improvised. The actors make up the dialogue, the singing. Everything is made up on the spot. The audience creates the show on their smartphone. That's ah. the crazy thing. So the audience has an app, and they answer all these questions before the show. Yeah. And it spits it into this computer. And so we have all this information, and we have to build a show 
based on their suggestions, the name of the show. I mean, it could be completely outrageous. Right. Certain lines of dialogue the audience is coming up with. Yeah. The main musical motif, uh, there's four notes that the audience chooses that oh, wow. we have That's to cool. like work into the show. How big is the orchestra? There's just three of us. Cool. Yeah. There's that small group. This yeah. is getting it's, it's all about economics. Yeah. Saving well, money. I think the more people you have in that situation, the more dangerous it becomes. But. That's true. And actually, and believe me, that's a, a group that I wish they could have bass, but they actually can't because it would be impossible be hard to find f- it. To, to find to follow yeah. each other. I mean, so yeah. the pianist leads the show. Yeah. And the funny thing is, um, we've had a number of different pianists on this show. If you were to listen to any of these piano players. You would sit there and go, "Wow, these these guys have perfect pitch." They're just, they're just right, but yeah. they don't, man. Really, and none of us do. Yeah, that's and right. that's the crazy thing. Yeah, we're just so in tune with each other. Yeah, I was talking about this with my New York Jazz Academy group last night. I coach a group uh, in the city, and I was telling them a lot of listening actually involves staring at people, sure, looking at them, that's, and yeah. just figuring out. I wonder what that guy or that girl's gonna do next. Yeah. Oh, where's their hand? Is he slide? Is he going up to that high? I'm gonna go with him, and I'm gonna. It's looking at each other. So I learned yeah. this from musical improv. Yeah, improv comedy. They're always staring at each other. Yes, they're they're like glued to each other. It's not just ears. It's visual. Yeah, it's the weirdest thing. You know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, UCB is actually kind of a, a hobby of mine that I've I've done from time to time. I'm nice. a level three UCB, no, no big deal, dude. But good uh, for you, I knew you were. <laughs> I searched something about you when I met you today. <laughs> I I actually think, and I I've had similar experiences, sort of relating uh, improv comedy to to jazz. But I I actually think that it can be for for me. It's kind of a better metaphor for uh, playing jazz than like. The metaphor that I had in school, which is sort of storytelling, like a lot of times people will say, you with to kids at least, you want your solo to be like a story, you know, to tell a story, right? But that's not whatever how it works. that means. You don't have one climax <sighs> in a in a jazz solo, you know. What 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 playing jazz for me is all about is is the game of it, yeah. and understanding the rules, and then the yeah. level of rules that can be built on top of it, right. and then playing off those rules together. Yeah. So like in improv comedy you have uh like if someone if in a two person scene someone's going to come out and they're going to like present the absurd thing that, you know, the scene is about and then the other person has to react to that by either becoming the straight man of the scene meaning like sort of setting the reality like what you can't wear that on your head. <laughs> you can't make a fart machine, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. it is. Uh, or he can be like a peas in the pod type of situation where he's also part of this absurd uh, thing that's happening. So like as a rhythm section player, you know, when someone takes something out harmonically, um, it's sort of my decision whether I want to s- keep the framework of the harmony that the song is set in so that you, the audience feels that tension, that contrast between, uh, you know, the the harmony that the person is laying on top of it or if I want to go with him, and then you know, like there's there's a risk in that. I mean, I think that there's mm-hmm. an instinct for young musicians when they hear someone do something, play a rhythm, play a polyrhythm, to like go with them and play mm-hmm. that with them, and then mm-hmm. everybody's playing, da, da, ga, 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 you know, and, and it's <laughs> yeah. it's not as interesting as if you can feel the two sides of the rhythm, right? Um, or you know, when someone plays a line to fill the space of that line. Yeah, yeah. And then the other uh, metaphor that I, I like is, is you know, like, it was really interesting learning how just comedy works, you know? And like, uh, you know, one of the things that happens when someone tells a joke is we're presented in a way by sort of a, a scary concept. And then when the punchline comes, it's... Um, we see that it's absurd and, and we, we feel relieved by that sort of scary thing that was in front of us. And that's, that's tension and resolution. Yeah. You know? Like that's the principles that are a part of, you know, all these different kinds of art yeah. forms. Yeah. I like that you, you said the game because the, the truth is the game is there already. The, the rules and the vibe is already there. It's naturally occurring. You yeah. don't have, as long as you're playing with like-minded people who are skilled on their instruments it will naturally the structure will find itself yeah and i never i tell this when i do clinics we just did a clinic in florida um 
and I was talking about this. People were asking, what do you what do you think about when you solo? I can tell you this much. The one thing that I do when I solo, the one thing I don't do is I don't imagine myself blowing fire out of my horn. I actually, my best <laughs> solos. That's what I imagine. It, that's awesome. The best solos that I play um, happen when I'm just fitting my sound into the other musicians. Yeah. Just fitting my sound in. Oh, that works. Okay. All right. I now I feel like I can build the volume because the sound is cool. Yeah. Okay. This is happening. It's go okay. There's a very natural, organic way that you can make music and it's beautiful. Yeah. And like, you know, just we're all trying to sort of sh give each other the game, you know, and like eye contact so important just to like play something and look at someone and th yeah. and then they really know like, oh, like I know what's happening. I want to yeah. react to that and uh yeah. yeah, that's when the game gets really exciting. It's fun. It's fun. I do an exercise with my students where I have in my ensemble where I have them play. They get in a big circle. Improv, you've seen them do this in comedy. Yeah. They will, um, well, in comedy, they'll, they'll, they'll start speaking a line of dialogue that they make up on the spot simultaneously. So the, the maybe five or right, six right, people right. Yeah. will try to just, let's just, here's our sentence. And then someone starts going and they all following that's almost at the same time it sounds like it's planned out right and i do this with my musicians too where i will say okay i'm gonna lead i'm gonna play a note and i want to see how quickly you can all play the note right on top of me right obviously they're gonna be a split second behind but get right on top of it yeah and we're just gonna instead and, and they're all looking right at me when i yeah. do this because they're, they're just glued to it the concentration it's amazing what you can do yeah 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 and i think that you know there's there's a lot of freedom that comes from like the slow development of learning the fundamentals of music that um, is actually gives you more freedom than just trying to like, okay, we've gotten to a point in the solo where things are going crazy and I'm just going to do crazy <laughs> stuff, you know, right. and, and not that, that, you know, there's some, there is always theories behind that as well. Right, but right. I, I think that, oop, there goes the camera, but that's okay. That's okay. We've uh, got two more cameras. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, it, it just helps it become this shared experience when when you're, you have a set of choices that you can make and you, and you make a choice and then that allows someone else to make another choice and then yeah. it, it just, it grows more organically, in my opinion. Yeah. Um. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about all the different, you know, hats you wear, um, because you uh, are someone that is doing your own music as a jazz musician or as a creative musician. Uh, you work in theater. You're you have a degree from NEC in classical music, um, and also obviously all the hustle and stuff that mm -hmm. you have. Um, I mean, firstly, do you, do you ever feel like you're just wearing too many hats and you want to just throw away this one thing so you can focus more on something else? <laughs> all, the all the time. time all the right? time. Yeah. All the time. It never ends. I mean, I'm sure you feel the same way. You yeah. have to wear a thousand hats. Yeah. And you have to be great or try to be great at as many of them as possible. And when you're in front of someone, you have to give them your best. Yeah. You got to give them. They want your, your, your A game. And it's a lot. It's a big responsibility. Yeah, I mean, music careers are a lot about choices, especially, you know, when we're all very hard working and and are capable of doing a lot of things. And I think when you're young, you have to do whatever you can to survive. I think it's smart to take every gig that you're offered and see mm -hmm. what opportunities lead you, and you know, see what you really like. But I, I think at certain points, points you have to make really difficult choices to give up parts of your career that no longer serve you. Um, yeah. and you know, I was wondering, you know, what was your experience in classical music that you decided that that wasn't the career trajectory you wanted to take or, or what made yeah. you interested in classical music in the yeah, first yeah. place? I was interested in new music for saxophone. Gotcha. Okay. Um, as even, even early new music, I guess, if that's a thing, you know, like the turn of the century, gotcha. uh, yeah. Glazunov, Bear, Creston, Desenclos, a lot of the French saxophone music I was really into. I like, I thought it really connected also in, in a modern context as a jazz player. So I was interested in that. I wanted to get better at the saxophone. Mm -hmm. I had been a jazz musician since I was a kid. Um, so you had I, sort of a choice when you got to college whether you wanted to major in jazz or classical. Right. So I did my undergrad at a very small Christian liberal arts college called Roberts Wesleyan College in Rochester, New York, my hometown. And I actually learned... We'll just say you went to Eastman. 
<laughs> Forget that. I learned more at, at, at Roberts Wesleyan College yeah? than, I, than I did at, at New England Conservatory wow. or anywhere else, man. I chose to go there. Yeah. I, I chose to go there. I met my future wife there. Oh, that's nice. I studied music education. I did choral conducting, band conducting, orchestration, composition, woodwind methods. I mean, I, you know, like all of us, I just lost my mind as an as a undergrad student. Um, and, and grew in my faith, which is why I was there. Mm-hmm. And then I said, okay, Rochester, you've been good to me. I need to get out of here, small town. So I moved to Boston. And I only went to NEC because I wanted to get much better at my technique. So I thought, okay, sure. classical music. Now, <laughs> I, I... It's almost a different set of techniques. It really is, man. And I almost, I, they, I almost had to check myself into like the mental huh. hospital. It was really tough to get through two years. It's so intense. Yeah. And I was still, I was starting to play on uh, jazz gigs. I was on a dinner cruise playing jazz every night with my band. And it was messing up my head because I was trying to study classical mm. at the same time. And so, uh, but I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I did it. It made me, it made me stronger. Um, yeah. But all that to say, finally, I, a few years later after that, I said, okay, now getting back to what we said earlier, I'm going to choose to do what I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all can fire me. I don't care. This right. is these are this is who I am. These are my influences. This is what I, this is me. So this is what. So I just made a decision to go down my own path. Yeah. Um. So the classical training was good for me, but it's certainly not something that defines me. I don't, you know. Yeah. I would say anymore. Yeah. And when did you start uh, working on being like such a solid doubler? Because play a lot of instruments in the in the reed family let's go through them do you play all the saxophones i do all the saxophones clarinet flute oboe i'm sure like some recorders and things like that do you do bassoon uh you know what i do not play bassoon oh you gotta learn bassoon i play i I know i know some you know it's funny someone told first it was sax clarinet flute you got to do that all right fine i do that and then someone said well pick a double reed oboe or bassoon i'm like cool i'm gonna do oboe oboe seems the smarter you know right i know and now the new line is well you really should should be doing bassoon (laughs) i'm like you know what man (laughs) i I don't know i i'm working i'm happy i I, I don't know it's enough it's enough i i'm sure you get this on bass too you know this constant pressure to just there's always more. There's always more, and there's always a new style that you have yeah. to learn. And, yeah. You, know, yeah. you got to be able to slap. You got to be able to use the pick. You got to be able to use the bow. You got to right. be able to use the fretless, you know, five string, maybe six right. string. You do, you, uh, do you prefer electric or upright? Or? I feel pretty solid ab- about both. I, I can't really decide. I mean, I go through phases where I'm working on one more than the other, um, but... I really love the feeling of like grooving on electric bass. That's cool. It's it feels a little bit you know more. F- just I feel like I groove a little harder on electric bass than I do on upright. It's a, you know it's a little bit harder, easier technically to make some of the more complicated like sixteenth note stuff happen. Um, but I love the sound of the upright bass. I love the 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 feel of swing. I I, I can't swing that great on electric bass. Um and I love playing with a bow. You know, I don't know. I love That's the bass. Cool. I love the sound of the bass. Yeah, so yeah. I, it's hard to to choose. Yeah, yeah. My my, my buddy uh, Peter Brenler. Um, uh, I think this happened to Peter. Uh, his bass uh broke. Man, he was going up the escalator oh, no. at Fifty First Street in, in Manhattan. You've probably been on that huge escalator, and yeah, with the he slant. got towards the top, and oh, there's the slant, and just crack. Oh man, I, I'm I'm 99% sure it was it happened to Peter. So if it didn't, it, Peter, I'm sorry, it, it didn't happen to you. I don't know. I, I think I think <laughs> Peter, somebody. This was a couple years ago. He was posting about this online, and I just was yeah. like, wow, boy, bass players, they really have to endure every month, or you know, every a number of times a year. I see like uh, you know uh, YouTube videos of like. Bases being smashed at airports, or like getting sucked under trains, or like dude, <laughs> such a sad. Well, you know, my my friend Eddie Kamovich, who's a bass player, he's his bass exploded. It exploded. You, it, the, the string broke. Oh right, right, and right. the whole thing just exp- exploded that's, on the stage. That's kind of cool. 
I would like to see that. <laughs> you can find YouTube videos yeah, of I'm that sure happening to people. I too. had, I, you know, uh, when I was in high school, I was playing on the like bass that was in school, and uh, the, the bridge just flung off. You know? Oh, it was, dude, the, it was That's dangerous. It is dangerous. That thing, yeah. you know, there's a lot of there's a ton of tension on the strings, like because yeah. it, it's not like a fixed position. Those bridges, they're they're just held on by the weight of the strings, you know. So it, it, yeah, there was a lot of tension. Wow. But luckily, I didn't hit anybody or anything. Wow. Um, but uh, you're doubling. So, I'm doubling. so when did you start doubling? And you know, uh, I picked it up as a kid. I started on saxophone, and uh, maybe in high school, picked up clarinet a little bit. Both my sisters played clarinet. Uh, college, picked up flute. Uh, I played in a lot of folk groups. I played in a lot of groups that allowed me to make mistakes, which yeah. is awesome. It's for very doubling. important. Yeah. yeah. So I got to. That was a great way to learn some some new instruments was to just get in some really chill groups and <laughs> I was just remembering yeah. that I, I bought my five string when I was, you know, uh kind of at a just out of college and I did a, a cruise uh short cruise contract and right before I did it I, I I bought a five string and I took it out for this cruise gig. And like there were just so many times where I was off by a fourth, you know, because <laughs> I would just be hitting <laughs> the wrong awesome. string. But it's like fuck it, it's a cruise game. Who cares? <laughs> That's awesome. No, exactly, dude. Yeah. You got this. Is what we don't talk about enough. I mean, most of what we learn is just from making mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I played some pretty hideous gigs uh, coming up, and and just just trying to get better at these instruments. Yeah. Um, so that's the best way to do it, yeah. Yeah, and you know, the funny thing is that you learn so much more by failing, but yeah. at the same time, like, people's opinions of you will kind of form, you know, from, you will always be, if if you do a jazz gig with somebody, they will always see you as a jazz person. Right. Or it's like, oh, that's that funk guy, or like, oh, that's <laughs> that guy that does, right. you know, the weird right. theater stuff or whatever, you know. <laughs> um <laughs> Or or hits or is off by a fourth a lot, you know. Right, so right. It, it, it's it's that's why it's scary. That's why it's hard to fail, you know. Um, it, it is hard to fail, and it's getting back to what we were talking about earlier. The pressure to be a certain way is so intense. Yeah, and you want so badly. All of us have maybe a hero or someone that we followed as a kid that we still think in our head, oh, I I, I want to reach towards that. I want right. to go down. And we can't do yeah. it, man. It's it it's you have to be authentic. Yeah. It takes a lot of bravery. It's not easy, as you know. Yeah. Yeah. Reminds me of another uh <laughs> it's a bit of a tangent. But uh when I was subbing at uh, a Lion King. Yeah. And there's this great bass player there, his name is Tom Barney. Um, and he's had such an incredible career. He was in the SNL band, he was in Steely Dan, and you know, I was I was a young guy and I was trying to like impress him a little bit and I was like recording him playing and I was saying like I'm I, I like I, when I sub for somebody I want to like transcribe everything they do and I want to try to sound exactly like them and he said like man you're never gonna sound like me don't even try like try to sound like yourself that's and cool. it, it was tr yeah, yeah it's very true you know it's true man I mean it's not certainly something to be said for transcribing it's important but uh, yeah. you know. You got to be yourself. Even even in a job where everyone expects you to be somebody else, you still have to be yourself. Right, right. And we're in an era. I still think in jazz there is just this horrible um, thing that's getting passed around over, during throughout the different generations that we're supposed to constantly copy people, you know, and, yeah. <laughs> until we're blue in the face. Yeah. And 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 it's 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 not true. It's not authentic. The audience can see through it. It still gets passed down. I think it's getting passed down in music schools, especially. Well, go, and, I, I, this is interesting. Go on about that. What do you mean by like, exactly by copy people? Uh, this there's just still an obsession with with um, playing a certain way. Yeah. And mere copying. Generally, it's copying your teacher or something like that. Or right. Copying someone who made an impression on you in in school. I mean. The, there are major music institutions that make millions of dollars off of students doing this. I mean, yeah. all they have to do, I mean, right now, Marty, as we're just talking, there's a kid signing a tuition check to go to Berkeley. Yeah. Yeah, how stupid is that, man? <laughs> how dumb. This poor kid is going to get brainwashed and he's going to get kicked out of there. And there's one, well, he'll get kicked out with a degree. They'll give him a degree. That fine. He'll get a, you know. <laughs> Maybe he'll get a, a he'll take a selfie with Herbie Hancock at the uh, commencement ceremony. Right, sure. And and that's it, man. Yeah. And he's not prepared to really go out and be an individual and be fierce and create his own space and and, and cultivate venues and do big things. 
Um, and this is getting passed down and nobody speaks out. I speak out about it all the time. Nobody else does. Yeah. It's a scam. I mean, sure, I went to music school and I forced myself to somehow use that training to, to make myself who, who I am today. But nothing magical happened in music school that right. just made me who I was. And there are thousands of people who are not going to music school who are crushing it right now. Yeah. And... um but it's a scam, and it's only happening in jazz. It's the worst. It's bad, man. Well, I'm, it's, I'm not sure it's not only, only happening in jazz. Yeah. 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 That's a whole other discussion. Yeah. Higher education, is it's, uh, it's scary, man, what they're doing to kids. Yeah. They're freaking the kids out, man. They're, they're making them, they're filling them with this crazy information, and the kids have no way to survive when they get out of school, and they're in debt, man. They're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, that is, that is a scary part of it. I mean, it, it is sort of crazy i'm you know i have very mixed feelings about this to be honest yeah. but it, it is sort of crazy that we have so many jazz conservatories in in this country um because it, there's not enough space Venues. for all of us no, and, you know there's not enough money in it you know right, for even right. the ones that like <laughs> get it right. to the top now i think i think music schools are great if the student gets out and knows how to cultivate his own scene his or her own scene they right. can build venues they can cult they can tour the, if they have the 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 stamina to do it but that's a small number of people that's yeah. a small number i include myself in that i'm a hard worker i mean yeah. i I don't mean to pat myself on the back, but I work late nights and I practice and I, I am a hustler just like you are. Yeah. So there's a few of us who went to music school who are using it in the right way. Yeah. But the vast majority of people at, at these music schools right now are not doing that. Yeah. And they're lost, man. And I feel bad for them. I feel sorry for their parents. Their parents are paying for this. Yeah. And, um, you know, we could have amazing... I'm a positive thinker. We have a, so much potential to build new venues and to do big things um we're blessed in this country we have great there's great potential in the arts yeah but we are we i mean just it's it's scary go on instagram you'll see it you'll see these guys oh, in their no, 20s it's, it's, and they, they're dark they, they, yeah there is no way uh, you know if your future is just playing uh coltrane licks in your basement for instagram man and you paid someone at berkeley to show you how to do that, man, you got duped. I'm sorry. That's that is some. Hmm. Now, if that person is it has the skills to go out and like do it in real life, yeah, at least they're on fine. Instagram. I mean, you know that that is a uh, you know an engine for you know. I, if if they days, can but, leverage it, more power yeah. to them. I mean, I'm Insta I'm on Instagram a lot. I love that platform. Yeah. If you can leverage it, but yeah. if you're just down there in the basement living off mom and dad, yeah, and that's your story, man, that scares me. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I I feel like I have sort of an interesting an interesting experience with it because I I went to the the new school yeah for for my undergrad, and that was a very different environment from what um you know I've sort of heard that you know that in a lot of conservatories they're teaching you to sort of play like these older mentors right, right. And, and masters and and uh you know they're in some ways kind of stuck in this tradition and, and the new school um we very much had this you know like everyone was like i want to be myself and i'm gonna do this thing you <laughs> know cool. like, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's cool at the same time like as a student i felt a little bit lost in the shuffle like i wasn't able to get the resources towards like working on my fundamentals that i had sort of oh. wished that i had had in a way um but at the same time, it's like the real lessons you learn that are the most important are when you get out of school and you start trying things and failing. I mean, that, that you know, like you take a gig that you don't know if you can handle, <laughs> yeah. and then you either rise to the challenge or you right, don't. Or and, you and, don't. and if you don't, that, that's as valuable a lesson. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I do think there's something that is important Important. I mean, maybe not worth the cost that it is to higher education to be in an environment where you are pretty much only concerned about studying music because it's such a rare moment yeah. in your life. Like we have so many other responsibilities and I'm, I'm sure, you know, like you feel the same way that there's some days you just wish you had a little bit more time to practice, you know, or, you know, speaking of response, since we're doing a live podcast, you, yes, I have to, no, no, just want to see what, what time we are at, uh, one Oh seven. Okay. I have yeah. to, 
We got to split. No, okay. no, yeah. <laughs> Beauty of live podcasting, yeah. folks. I actually had to pick up my uh, my kids at school. Yeah. Um. In in. But but yes, because of the real world. Yeah. As Look you at say. this. Look at it's fucking happening it's, right it's now. It's happening before our very. Thanks a eyes. lot, higher education. And, and let me say this: before people start like throwing things at their computers, I'm not against higher ed as long as the student can leverage it. I right. believe if you can leverage your degree, man. Then you're going to be a powerhouse, and you're going to only help be a blessing to others. The problem That's, is, you know, and and is that there's just so much more responsibility on, you know, art majors to, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, if you go to accounting school, there's, you know, like you learn how to account, and then you have to apply yourself to get a job and do that job well. But it's like it, it's it's a set path, and, yeah. and the path of artists is always much more complicated and you know that uh is sort of uh romantic in a way and it's you know it sounds better than like you know having a boring job but but you know it comes with a set of challenges yeah yeah but at the end of the day look there's beautiful things happening people are revolutionizing the music and that's the beauty of it man there are people who are completely bypassing the middlemen the gatekeepers that we were talking about it's beautiful yeah with the with the internet with podcasts information sharing it's happening so i think it's great absolutely and with that we're gonna let our guest daniel bennett go thanks for coming on the show thanks for having me just a reminder you can catch his cd release party on january 12th at the blue notes at 11 30 and 1 30 p.m thank you so much for listening and have a great week <laughs>